Will you take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. On Tuesday of this past week, as you well know, the American people elected a new president to preside over these United States. For me, it was the seventh presidential election in which I had a vote. And yet I cannot remember an election cycle that was so opinionated, so murky, miry, so uninspiring, and so very, very surprising. All that led up to the election and all that has transpired in just a few days since has left many people confused and conflicted, even those who voted for the winning candidate. And I bring this up, please hear this, I bring this up not to editorialize or stir the pot. We've had plenty of that already, haven't we? But rather to consider how the Bible informs our response. As Christians, you and I are citizens of two kingdoms. The earthly and the heavenly. This is grace. This is grace. This is grace from God. This is a gift from God's good hand, that we are citizens of these United States of America with the many, many privileges that come with it, and citizens of the kingdom of God and its eternal joys is blessing beyond measure, is it not? But dual citizenship can be dangerous if we confuse the two. We must understand that the terms American and Christian are not the same. And in fact, one is infinitely subordinate to the other. And yet, because of our propensity to blur these lines... And because we are living in such an opportune, yet volcanic time, it's imperative that we see the difference. And how timely that our study through the Gospel of John didn't plan this. I did not plan this. But how timely that our study through the Gospel of John brings us to this very issue today. So we come again to chapter 18. We remember that Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who ruled over Palestine at the time. It is 
It is the day of Christ's crucifixion. Early that very morning. All human history prior to this encounter, in fact, led to this encounter, even as all history since looks back. All eyes are watching. All ears are listening as the kingdoms of earth and heaven collide. And so having already considered the passage in its fuller context two weeks ago, uh, today I want to consider just two statements made by Jesus Himself in verses 36 and 37. The first statement deals with the distinction between these two kingdoms, while the second speaks to Christ's response and ours. And the takeaway is this. Because Christ's kingdom is not of this world, we can rest assured and press on with purpose knowing that all earthly kingdoms are subservient to Him. So let's read it together. We're going to look just at 36 and 37, but I want to read from 33 to 37. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Amen. Let's pray. God, what a great thing it is. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for this, just this... uh, great privilege and gift we have to gather together in the worship of God as the people of God. We don't want to take that lightly. We don't, we don't want to take that for granted. We're very grateful for this because there was a time when we were not a people, but now we are your people. There was a time when we lived in darkness and death And we had not received mercy, but now, by your mercy, we live in in light and life that is realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. And even as we read this 
this statement, this last statement in verse 37, that where Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We're reminded of the importance of truth in a world that ever compromises it. And of the absolute necessity to listen for the voice of Christ in a world where so many other voices clamor for our attention. And so as we sit this morning with our Bibles open, Will you please open us to your truth? Will you please speak your word to us again and give us ears to hear? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Here, Jesus contrasts two distinct kingdoms. There's the worldly kingdom in which all people live. And then there is his divine kingdom in which only his people live. Throughout his life and ministry, and now in these moments before Pilate, Jesus makes clear that he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom, but rather to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And the way by which he accomplished this was not by defending his rights as God, but by laying them down in faithful service to God and in loving sacrifice for others. The kingdom of heaven is realized on earth, not because Jesus preserved his life in this world, but because he gave his life in service and sacrifice. So we look again at verse 36. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over. And he's talking here about angels, these servants of God who were and are at the ready to fight for Christ and his kingdom. They're on notice. They're on guard. They're, they're at the ready. And contrary to how they are often portrayed, these Angels are not cute little fairies from a whimsical land. They are awesome, powerful, supernatural beings that exist in the spiritual dimension that runs parallel to our physical world. And on occasion, they step into our world visibly as we read in Scripture. And were we to see one today, were we to see one today, were one to walk through the door or walk through the wall or whatever angels do when they show up, were we to see one today, we would immediately hit the ground in worship or more likely in absolute fear and dread. 
As a matter of fact, whenever we see an angel appear before a man or a woman in the Bible, its first words are basically, don't die. (laughs) I haven't come to kill you. Matthew 26, at the time of his betrayal and arrest, Jesus stated clearly, remember it's that scene where Peter pulls the sword and lops the Malchus's ear off and Jesus says, no, 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 put the sword away. He says, and he says, he makes it clear that I could call upon legions of angels who would come at once from heaven to basically destroy any and all persons on earth who come against their king and ours. But he didn't. He didn't call upon these angels. Because his kingdom is not like ours. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And therein we find the key. Jesus, although he is God kept entrusting himself to God the Father continually. It really is a matter of faith, of who you trust. Will we trust in earthly kings and kingdoms or in Christ and his kingdom? This question is fundamental to understanding our role in this world. This question, how we answer this question, will we trust in earthly kings or kingdoms or in Christ and his kingdom? This question is fundamental to understanding our role in this world because the means by which God's heavenly kingdom is realized on earth is not through Force primarily, but through faith as God's people acknowledge and gladly submit to His sovereign rule over all things. What makes this hard, of course, hard for you, hard for me, what makes this hard is that what we see, what we see doesn't always jive with what we believe and know to be true, right? Too often we see evil prevail, or so it appears. Unlike our childhood fairy tales, the good guy doesn't always win. And we want it, we want all wrongs righted now. We want it Fixed now. We're like the workers in the parable of the wheat and tares. 
We want to separate the wheat from the tares now and and therefore eliminate all confusion and contamination from the world. But God has chosen another way that moves at a much different pace. Because, Because sin came into the world when we turned from God. God has ordained that the way to hope and healing is turning from trusting in earthly power to instead trust in Him again. Whatever you may think, whatever you may think about last week's election, however you voted, I hope you are not placing your hope in an earthly king or kingdom. I hope that your hope lies not in a president or political party or social platform. As Budge said so well in his sermon last week, we must understand we did not elect a new Savior on Tuesday. There is only one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And his throne endures forever. I want you to remember Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he saw a great image. It was a mighty statue of sorts. And we're told that the head was of fine gold and its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs were made of bronze and its, its legs were of iron and its feet were partly iron and partly clay. And then, and then the king saw a stone, remember, that, that struck and toppled the mighty statue while, while it, the stone, became this great mountain that filled the whole earth. And as Daniel interprets the dream, we learn that the statue represents the kingdoms of the world. King Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold who ruled the Babylonian Empire. But the Babylonians eventually gave way to the Medes and Persians, who gave way to the Greeks, who gave way to the Romans. And as impressive as each was, as formidable as each was in its day, each one eventually fell to the next. But in the days of the Roman Empire, represented by the, the legs and feet of iron, God established a heavenly kingdom on earth. Like the stone that struck the mighty statue, this kingdom was mightier still. It breaks in pieces all the kingdoms of earth, while it consistently grows to fill the earth and stand triumphant forever. So 
What we have here is some 600 years before the incarnation, Daniel was prophesying to the coming of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And I find it very interesting and very informative to our day that that Daniel sees this glorious vision of Christ and his heavenly kingdom while the people of God at the time were living as exiles and outsiders. By grace and with love immeasurable, God has called us out of this world to make us citizens of another. Oh, we need to hear this. By grace and with love beyond measure, God has called us out of this world to make us citizens of another. Earthly kings and kingdoms may appear for a time and exercise some authority, but theirs is just a delegated authority, sovereignly given by God, subordinate to God, and temporary at best. Today, if we were to understand our unique position of being in the world but not of it, we must see ourselves as citizens of the heavenly who live on earth under the supreme banner of another king the king of kings jesus christ who sits far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come are you with me you see when we see the world from this biblical point of view we will enjoy rest in God and freedom from worry and anxiety. And more than that, when we see the world from this perspective, our purpose in the world becomes so much more clear. as we align with the purpose of Christ. And so again, Jesus did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. He did not. He did not. But to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And as he notes in verse 37, he was born into this world to bear witness to this truth. He says, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To what truth was Christ bearing witness? He bore witness to the character, the reality and character of God, to the truth that God is good. And all that he does is good. However, though we were created by God in His image for His glory, we turned from God in pursuit of our own. And so Jesus also bore witness to the truth of our sin and need before God, testifying through His words and His works that sin has destroyed our souls from within. 
Sin separates us from God, but God, who is rich in mercy, has graciously provided for our need in love. God has given His Son, who willingly stepped from heaven to earth to live among us and die for us. He stepped from heaven to earth to pay for our sin, to pay the penalty that was ours, and to rise again from the dead, and now ascended back to heaven. He grants forgiveness of sin and new life with God to all who place their trust in Him. And He, he makes, He is making, we're told, He is making, even today, He is making all things new, and He will come again. He is Lord of all, full of grace and truth. And as he stood before Pilate that fateful morning, this was the reality he bore witness to. The truth of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, basically. This was, the great, this was his great purpose on earth. He testified to the truth of another kingdom. A greater one. kingdom of God and as children of God and disciples of Christ our purpose is much the same so as Jesus says here everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice In other words, the people of Christ are expected to promote the purpose of Christ. In other words, as we go about our day, there's this sense where our spirits is always leaning to hear the voice of Jesus. Lord, what are, you, what are you doing here? What are you saying to me here? And I say we have to kind of lean in because as you well know, there are so many voices out there. And sometimes I think we just naively expect God to shout over them. When instead, maybe God is saying, lean in close. I've got something to say. Of Christ are expected to promote the purposes of Christ, which begs the question, how? How do we do this? How do we bear witness to these things? How does our citizenship in heaven inform our response as citizens on earth. We, we have a responsibility as citizens on earth. We don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. How do we do it? And I don't know that I have the answers to that, but I have four suggestions. Number one, avoid Syncretism, separatism, 
and what I'm going to call supplantism. Let me explain. Syncretism is the amalgamation and acceptance of opposing views or ways of life. It's the notion that everyone should just get along, regardless of what we believe. It is represented very well, maybe you've seen this, by the bumper sticker that calls all people from all religions to simply coexist in peace. Syncretists sound good on the surface, but they don't adhere to absolute truth, to clear right or wrong. In fact, in fact, they would just have us check our beliefs at the door and leave well enough alone. Separatism is another approach. Separatists withdraw from cultural participation almost entirely. <coughs> Separatists disengage. Separatists huddle amongst themselves. Paralyzed by constant worry of the secular world and its influence, separatists prefer the supposedly safe and sterile environment of their Christian confines. With separatism, the church becomes more like a foxhole than a missional outpost. A third option is what I call supplantism. And the driving trait and or the defining trait and the driving motivation here is the eagerness not to separate from the world, but to overthrow it. To supplant anyone or anything that disagrees with the Christian perspective. They're very much like the zealots of Jesus' day. Like the zealots, these folks are marked by this, this low-level brooding anger always disgruntled, always wanting to pick a fight, always wanting to stir the pot. They too are afraid. Like the separatists, but their fear manifests itself in cultural war instead of cultural withdrawal. They view the enemy, they view unbelievers, they view unbelievers as the enemy to be clobbered and secular society as a kingdom to be conquered. However, for the Christian who seeks to walk in truth as Jesus did, neither of these is an option. Therefore, avoid syncretism, becoming like the world, separatism, withdrawing from the world, or supplantism, seeking to overthrow the world. Let us instead, number two, engage the world personally and positively. Engage the world personally and positively. The Christian who seeks to walk as Jesus did will enter the fray. 
is sometimes called incarnational ministry, where we, like Jesus, identify with people. We identify with people. We expose the underlying issues of the heart, and we offer a better way in love. The in love part is very important. Rather than throwing stones from the sideline, incarnational ministry requires that we participate personally and positively. And such participation requires uh, both faith and humility. Faith to affirm and believe that God is still on the throne, that His rule, He rules over earthly kingdoms even when those kingdoms oppose Him. Great faith to just affirm that, to say, God, I know You still reign. I know You still are on the throne. Even if the laws and policies and stuff, the principles of this world are not, they stand opposed to You, It does not catch you by surprise. It does not cause you to scratch your head. It does not bring an ounce of worry to you. You reign. That requires great faith and great humility. Humility to recognize, and hear this, even celebrate the God-given abilities of non Christians who may be far more capable and divinely appointed by God to bring about His sovereign purposes. James Montgomery Voice, Boyce, in his... Uh, book titled Two Cities, Two Loves provides this wise counsel. God's people also participate in the fall in that they themselves have a corrupt, sinful, and deceptive nature. So even when they participate in secular affairs with a, with a view to doing good, they must humbly acknowledge that they do not have all the answers. That secular people also have important insights and skills to offer, perhaps even better than their own. And that Christians sometimes wrongly advance their own selfish concerns to the hurt of other people and they need to be reproved and corrected for such errors. You see, by looking to the good of all and not just the good of Christians, those who think and behave as we do, we help diffuse the us versus them mentality. I don't know about you. I'm so tired of the us versus them mentality. And we showcase the heart of Christ who came, remember, not to be served, but to serve. By participating personally and positively, we engage the world with the promise of another. Listen, this isn't all there is. There's something better. And we bring to bear 
a biblical worldview. Number three. Embrace prayer and proclamation over power and politics. Embrace prayer and proclamation over power and politics. You, you know Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And this was God's promise to the people of Israel, but does it not apply to us as well? Does not prayer make a difference in our lives as it did theirs and in our land as it did in theirs? Embrace prayer and proclamation over power and politics. And so as I pulled, when I pulled into the parking lot of 12 Bridges Public Library at 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning to cast my vote. I was in those moments compelled to pray. I had not planned on praying. Honestly, frankly, <laughs> voting was just one of many errands I had to run. So I had not planned on praying, but in those moments when the car came to a stop, and before I opened the door to, to go into the building and register and step into the booth and make my vote known, I prayed. I don't know, 15 or so minutes, maybe. Eyes open, by the way, because people were coming and going, and I didn't want to look like a weirdo. I just had to talk it out with God. I I I had I had been anxious and unsettled and bothered by all the empty rhetoric from both sides that I just needed to seek some wisdom and clarity and peace and blessing from God. When we as Christians pray for our land, we affirm God's sovereignty over our land. And thankfully, such prayers wean us, as it did for me in those moments, wean us from our dependence upon political power while also reaffirming our commitment to the gospel. You see, before I stepped into the voting booth that morning, I just needed to know. I just needed to know again. I just needed to be reminded again that the kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to God not to a desperately flawed individual or system. Hear this, the system is broken because people are broken. And no amount of political band-aids will cure the disease within. 
Only God can do that. And the kingdom of God advances through gospel proclamation, not political rehabilitation. Did you hear that? Dear people, in these fragile and combustible days, we have such great opportunity, but we must remember that the, we must return to the gospel and its power. And the gospel truth, we must let our friends and family members and social media followers see the beauty and wonder and simplicity of a genuine, non-political Christian witness. With all due respect, and I mean this, with all due respect to the man and the office I do not want people thinking that our new president-elect represents Christ or the Christian perspective. Because he is severely flawed. And in desperate need of divine grace as we all are. We must pray for changed people, not merely a change in party or policy. Listen, Jesus did not die as atonement for sin to merely rehabilitate a sinful world. He died to redeem and restore sinners to a kingdom not of this world. Therefore, embrace prayer and proclamation over power and politics. And then fourth and finally, dream in another language. Let me explain. Dream in another language. I once heard the story of a, of a Brazilian man who moved to the United States. And as you can imagine, the cultural differences between the two countries were, uh, were stark and many and required much adjustment. But over time, the man began to feel more at home and reflect the characteristics of the American culture even more than those of Brazil. And when asked about this, his response was somewhat unusual, but very telling. When did you feel like you were part of the American way? To which he replied, when I began to dream in English. When his dreams began to reflect the American dream, his life and language followed suit. The, the implication is clear. That for which we long inevitably affects how we live. That for which we long inevitably affects how we live. In his book, Above All Earthly Powers, Professor David Wells draws the following conclusion. Thus it is that we have two diametrically opposed visions of life. 
In the one, there is no center. In the other, there is, and it is Christ. In the one, life is but a succession of random events. In the other, life is lived out under the sovereign rule of Christ. In the one, we are alone in the cosmos. In the other, we are not. In the one, salvation is humanly managed. In the other, it is divinely given. Christianity, he says, best flourishes when the sharpness of these opposing visions is preserved. And it becomes sickened when it's not. And so it would behoove us, each of us, I think, to do some soul-searching this morning, to just ask ourselves, which kingdom drives you? Guides you? Compels you? Inspires and fulfills you? Which kingdom? Because his kingdom is not of this world, we can rest assured and press on with purpose, knowing that all earthly kingdoms are subservient to Christ. Amen. God, please help us please help us to understand the the responsibilities of this dual citizenship that we are citizens of an earthly kingdom and that is very important and we have wonderful opportunities and we have great responsibilities as citizens in the earthly kingdom and we don't want to shirk from those responsibilities and we don't want to shy away from those opportunities because we know that we are also citizens of a greater heavenly kingdom your kingdom and so will you help us day by day even moment by moment, to just further understand what it means to be in the world, but not of it. No, God, we pray for our country. We thank you. Oh, man, we thank you for just the incredible privilege we have as American people to have a say in our governmental officials and leaders. And even with all our flaws and foibles, with all our sin, still to this day, this very moment, this is the greatest country on the planet. And people from all over the world still long and dream to come here. So we are enormously blessed and privileged, and we thank you, and we pray, God, we pray for our governmental officials, we pray for our current president, We pray for our president-elect. We pray for uh, the the advisors. There are many advisors. We pray for their staff. 
And we ask, O oh God, that you would turn the hearts of these men and women to Jesus Christ, that you would help them in humility and grace and faith to see their absolute dependence upon Christ, to find joy and hope and purpose in using their position for His glory. Will you help us as citizens of this great country to, to walk accordingly as well? That in all things, Jesus and his kingship would be seen and celebrated. To his glory we pray. Amen.